0: Welcome to another episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we have an incredible guest who specializes in empowering purpose-driven founders and CEOs to unlock their full potential and transform their businesses. I want you to meet Elena Schwartz. She is a business coach and a strategist. She helps uh, her clients, six, seven-plus-figure founders and CEOs, play bigger and elevate their game. So I'm not going to give you too much head up because she's going to introduce herself here shortly, but I'm really excited to have Elena come on the show and talk about her experience and what she does because in previous conversations with Elena, you really get the understanding that she looks at things as from a holistic perspective, but also she has the ability to to dive in and and really dissect the minutia of whatever it is that she's helping you to achieve your goals. So, without any further ado, here she is, Elena Schwartz.
1: So delighted to be here with you, Dustin. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely, the pleasure is all mine. And I've been really excited about having this conversation. And so, before we dive into your journey, could you just briefly say hello and say a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just broke up for me for a minute, but I think you just wanted me to, to make an introduction, so happy yes, to do please. that. Yes, um, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started out as an attorney in the music industry for almost 18 years in New York City, and that that's kind of my background. And I was really burnt out, made me very physically ill. I was working 60 to 80 hours a week, although very successful, but I had no time to actually enjoy the money that I was actually earning. And it finally occurred to me that I had really, you know, um, I had a cop to the fact that I'd put my ladder up against the wrong wall. I put my ladder up against the wall that my parents had for me. It was their agenda for me to be a lawyer, to play it safe, rather than for me to actually, you know, it was something that I was really driven to do. And when I walked away from it all to just figure out what my purpose in life really was, it became really clear that it was coaching entrepreneurs because I'd been an entrepreneur for the vast majority of my career as a lawyer. And um, I really wanted I very intentionally created a coaching business where I worked um, as a lifestyle business, right? Where I wasn't working all the time because I was a single mom by then. And I really wanted to be there for my son as a single mom. And when I self-sabotaged my own business, I created six figures in seven months in my first year of coaching. And then I proceeded to self-sabotage my business. And when I did, I went back to the thing that I thought was the answer to helping me get my business back in scale, which was working 16 hour days again. And I remember one day I was sitting on my couch and then my then nine-year-old son, he's 16 now, but my then nine-year-old son had his head on my shoulder and looked up at me as I was again working on my laptop. And he said, mom, you're working all the time. And I went. Oh, my God, like I did it again. So I did the thing that I was trying to avoid because it was the thing that I, like most high-achieving entrepreneurs believe, is going to help us grow and scale our businesses, which is working hard or grinding it out. And so I became very determined, Dustin, to figure out how to actually scale my business while working significantly less. And that's what I started helping entrepreneurs do, is be able to create, you know, easily those fifty dollars to $100,000 months being in flow, working 20 to 30 hours a week less. And so I work with six, seven, and eight-figure entrepreneurs, helping them scale sustainably. So that looks like being able to create the lifestyle that you went into business for in the first place, being able to only focus on doing what you love and working significantly less.
0: Well, I apologize in the intro. I said six to seven figures. I did not say eight figures, so I it's didn't shortchange you there. Good. That's amazing. And you you used the term there. You mentioned a uh, self sabotage. I want to so put a pin in that, and we're going to come back to that a little later. Um, but thank you for that for that recap. I'd love to talk about your origin story, like how you started, because you mentioned being an attorney in the music industry. Could you talk about like where you grew up and? you know, how, how, how the Elena Schwartz story how uh, began?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> you know, um, I grew up in Long Island originally until I was about 13. And then my parents moved to South Florida and then I went to New York City for law school and then continued to practice there. So that's sort of the geographical story, but I grew up with parents who uh, really pushed education and for some reason they did it with me, not my sister, where they drove me. Like if I didn't get A's, I got punished, you know, and I got grounded on a regular basis if I didn't get straight A's. My sister could get C's and it was okay. So there was something about me that they saw that they were really driving me hard, but again, they instilled that belief that you have to work hard to succeed, So I kind of grew up believing that no matter what I did, it was never good enough and constantly chased more to be good enough to get my parents' love and approval. And I see that pattern a lot in a lot of my clients, right? That they always felt, first of all, we tend to be black sheeps of our family. We tend to really stand out and be very different. And then we also tend to believe that nothing we ever do is really good enough. So we're driven to do more to prove to ourselves we really can do it. And that's exactly what I did throughout my childhood. And as I started to work, well, what happened is when I started to give up law, I started to figure out what I really wanted to do. And I was really passionate about holistic healing. And so I tried a lot of things. I went through a nutrition program. I did you know, Reiki training, level one and level two. I did a whole variety of different things. I learned I was really good at many things, not all of which I'm meant to do. Kind of became a little bit of a Renaissance woman in terms of dabbling in this and that. And then what happened is I went through a dark night of the soul. So I watched all the structures of my entire life fall apart. I met like the massive nest egg I had built up completely disappeared. And I went to almost a hundred thousand dollars in debt. My marriage was on the rock, started to have difficulty with my son, like all of these things, just like it was a confluence of events that just came on me all at once and, and really, you know, drop me to my knees. And I was in search of tools to help me get out of the living hell I put myself in. And I started to discover mindset tools and techniques that help liberate my thinking and help me understand the nature of reality and manifestation in a completely different way. And that's when I found my purpose. And so in that process, I discovered that coaching entrepreneurs was, and at first I was like, I honestly, I couldn't believe it when I got the download. I was like, really, that's what I'm meant to be doing. And within a week, it became so clear that, yes, this is what I'm meant to be doing. I mean, my my clients, my, my cards when I was a lawyer said counselor at law, and they didn't say attorney at law because I always counseled my clients. And so it made sense. I was a strategist in law. And it made sense that I was going to use those skills to help entrepreneurs grow and scale their business. And so that's how I got started working with entrepreneurs and sort of on my journey.
0: You mentioned a couple things there that I want to make sure that we drill down into because you mentioned your sister who could see is don't want to throw her under the bus about her her grades growing up. Is this an older (laughs) sister, younger sister? Older sister. Older sister. sister. Yeah. Yeah. and so when you when you have that experience, did you do similar things in your life? I mean, did you play sports or were you in clubs? Were were those things similar in what you were doing or were you doing totally different things?
1: Than my sister? Yeah. We were doing totally different things. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was a nerd. I was like a total nerdy girl. You know, it's funny to think of me now um, as a nerdy girl, but I was a total nerdy girl. And so, you know, um, I kind of geeked out on various things, but I mean, I was an avid learner. It's just that I didn't want to work that hard in school. I wanted to have fun. And I didn't actually believe you had to work really hard, but I was like, I literally was beaten into submission. I mean, literally beaten into submission with the idea that that's what was necessary, that I couldn't make mistakes. Mistakes were not okay for me to make. So as a result, that was kind of how I, I mean, for many, many years up until my teenage years, I really went the straight and narrow, like I was afraid to to color outside the lines, because I got my ass kicked a lot. And, you know, so because of that, it really drove me to like, just stay on the straight and narrow path. And it was when I I actually, when I was 14, had a near death experience, I almost died. I had an accident. Um, My mother was told by a neurologist that I was going to have permanent brain damage. And she didn't believe it. There was something about it that she didn't believe. And so she, like, we didn't know about neuroplasticity back then, but she just really started to retrain my brain through games and puzzles and all kinds of other ways to like reconnect those synapses. And I basically recovered when I was told that there, I wasn't told, but my mom was told that there was no chance of me recovering for that. And after that near death experience at 14, my life completely changed. You know, then I started to really step into more of who I was and find my passions and purposes in life, except again, I followed my parents' direction and went the law school route. So I can't say that was completely true.
0: Well, I, I want to ask you about that, about the law school and, and going that route. But if, if, are you okay with sharing? What was the accident? What oh, was sure. the near-death experience?
1: Oh, I, I had a, um, I had a moped accident. So yeah, that's that's what it was. And it just hitting my head and just not it wasn't a good experience, obviously. I mean, it was a great experience. It actually woke me up. It was it was my first awakening because one of the ways that my mom helped me was taught me meditation. And so literally every day for years I meditated and that made a huge difference. I mean, as a teenager, that made a huge difference. In me like really coming into a level of grounding that i don't think I would have as a regular teenager if those experiences hadn 't happened
0: do you because you mentioned before about you know your relationship with your parents do you think sounds like this i don 't know if words in your mouth, but do you think that brought you closer to your parents and your relationship did it did it it make did that... with
1: my mom, not with my dad you know my my dad um wow, this is really vulnerable, but I'm going to share it anyway. My dad's not alive anymore and I love him dearly, but he played the shame game. So whenever I did something that he thought was off the path of what I should be doing, there was just tons of shame. I mean, literally when I was recovering, he told me he was ashamed of me that I had like that accident, that I had gone down that path and whatever, you know, that I was stupid essentially. So that's sort of the role, like my Father has stopped talking to me in various different times in my life for a really long periods, seven years being the most, because I like when I gave up practicing law, he stopped talking to me for seven years. So, you know, there's that was the kind of relationship I had with him because I think I was the apple of his eye. And he felt his own self-esteem through me, like it was through projecting onto me, like living through me vicariously. And so whenever I didn't live up to those expectations, like the hammer came down pretty hard. Whereas that experience actually made um helped me create a relationship with my mom that i didn't have before, and mm-hmm. we have a great relationship now. I will say that
0: well that's good you know finding finding meaning and things like that and, and situations like that I think is really important in, in reflecting and you know well, we could talk about more of that as we as we as we move forward but i, I want I wanted to throw a couple things out here, so as you talk about your path from from go from high school and going to college and law and then specifically in the in the music business. Tell me about the decision to go to law. I know you said it was your parents pushing you that way. Uh, did you know what type of law, or was that even in your yeah, like, what was yeah. that experience like? Yeah.
1: When I was in college, I started out as a psych major, and I actually had enough classes to be a minor. But what I was finding is that the people in the psychology program I was in was trying to get me to pick a school of thought. Like, was I going to be a behavioralist? Was I going to be, you know, like... to pick a school of thought. And I was a very eclectic and I still am a very eclectic thinker. I like to take various pieces and fit them together in a way that works for me. I don't tend to follow, like when people ask me who my mentors are, I don't have mentors per se. I could say, I like this piece from that person. I like that piece from that person, but I can't say any one person has really been a mentor for me because I like to take, as I said, various different pieces. So I became a psych major. And then I really gave that up because I just I really was disheartened by like the idea that I had to go one way. And then I went to into business administration, and I hated it. I didn't like it at all, and I gave it up. And the only other thing that interested me was this legal studies program, and it was mostly legal history. There were two pre-law classes, but it was mostly legal history. And I actually liked I had a couple of professors that actually told the truth about history. And I became very enamored with the truth. And I was like, wow, this is so different than any textbook teaches. This is like what's really going on and what the country was really doing. And I just thought that to me, was just like so sexy. So I was going to become a history teacher and a college history teacher. And my parents said like, I wouldn't make any money. I was going to fall out of the ivory tower. I happened to one Win both the moot courts that I, that were the two pre law classes. One was an appellate moot court, one was a trial, and pre, you know, a moot trial. And I actually won both of them. And so because I won both of them, they convinced me that that was the path and it would be safety and security and I'd make lots of money. And I was dating a musician at the time who moved up to New York City um, to pursue a career in music. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to go to law, I had a lot of friends who were musicians. That's what I was going to do. I was going to go into music law. So I moved to New York with the specific I moved back to New York City with the specific intention of actually pursuing a career in music. And I was able to do it much from the get-go.
0: So you jump right out of law school, you go right into the music industry. Tell me about that experience and working with creatives because, like, you're an eclectic thinker. I imagine there's a the business side, then there's the music side. Tell me about that experience and and how that all worked.
1: Yeah, you know, in the beginning, like the music industry can be pretty sexy, especially back then. It's I don't know that it's as sexy now because, you know, like selling records isn't the thing anymore. You know, selling CDs at the time was a really big thing. And it was just when I was getting out, just the, the dawn of really going in the digital age. Um so for me like I knew a lot of musicians I worked with a lot of musicians I went out almost every night to see bands play you know to scout bands as well as just because I loved music and I was dating a musician I ended up marrying him so you know because of that there like I was really passionate about music not necessarily business And what I discovered was a couple of things. First of all, most musicians don't really appreciate a job well done. You know, companies know when you're doing a good job. Musicians don't. They just want to get what they get right they just want what they want and if they get it they're happy and if they're not they blame you but they don't really have a good sense of when somebody's doing a really good job that was the first thing and they don't like to pay really well to do it either <laughs> that, so that was the other the first thing the second thing was that the music industry was a lot like high school with paychecks so there was a very um old boy network and very immature overall and so somebody like me who is mm, i don't want to say this like more evolved spiritually, I found it really, really hard for me. It was like a really hard road for me. And I was pushing up against that a lot. And as a lawyer, like most people, when they have the leverage and they're making deals, they want to beat the other party to shreds because they have the leverage to do that. And what I started to notice was that people were making deals, but they were blowing up the relationship. So, because of the negotiation, oftentimes the people had difficulty, the parties had difficulty working together after the fact, right? Because one of them got beaten up in the negotiation, and then they lost trust in the process. So, my attitude, regardless of which side I was on, was to make a fair deal for both sides that they could both walk away with, and would work for them to continue to build their relationship. And so, I again, was an out-of-the-box thinker like that because most people don't think that way. They just think, how can I get the most from my client? Not realizing that sometimes the most from their client is being able to have a harmonious relationship with the people that they're in, you know, in relationship with. So, you know, there were a lot of aspects of the music industry that were super challenging for me. I mean, there were a lot of aspects of law that were super challenging for me overall.
0: It's It's amazing to hear you say, a win-win situation is out of the box, is outside the box, you know, like, uh, but, but you're right. It's amazing in business how it can be so competitive. But, um, I think that's part of the, it's part of the magic. That's part of the the beauty when you really jive with people that, that you work with and, and who you're spending time with. Um, a question about the music was there a specific type of music that you focused on or that you you were going to I worked to see- with
1: a lot of um pop R&B and hip hop at the time rock actually also so those those are the main genres that I was focused on a lot of rock actually um at the time back then I was really into alt rock like that was like kind of my jam <laughs> um but I did like some pop as well I mean one of the bonuses is I got to see a lot of music and go backstage a lot and meet a lot of musicians but again that's not nearly as glamorous as people make it out to be either so
0: (laughs) I think about that sometime when I go to events or concerts and you know this person's going on this tour and you're like wow so what do they do they just they go I mean this is their job so they go backstage they got to. They got to sign autographs. They got to do that. People got to take the pictures, the mm-hmm. meet and greet. And then it's like, either they probably blow off some steam and then get back on their tour bus and go to the next place and over and over. It's got to be taxing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially because early days, you know, like the middle of my career you know, bands like Aerosmith were getting clean and sober. And so they weren't allowing like booze back, booze and drugs backstage. <laughs> but in the early days of my career, it was a total party fast. You know, everybody was partying really hard. So it, I can imagine how hard that would have been to tour based on that.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. So when you, well, you're doing that for a while. Walk through the next step of, of the, your evolution and your, your genesis.
1: Yeah. So I was in private practice. The vast majority of entertainment firms are boutique firms, so they're small, which I really liked. And then one of the firms I was with as um, as I, I sort of had stepped in to take over a partner's role. And when I stepped in that p- that firm got bought out by—I uh, don't know if you're familiar with the term—but AM100 law firm, which are like one of the top 100 law firms in the country—and that was just insane for me. Like the idea of billing every six minutes—I couldn't, ha- I couldn't handle the corporate environment. I'm just not so not a corporate person. So I really walked away from it. And shortly after that, I got offered a gig being the executive vice president of the largest independent music company in the world at the time, and um, I liked what they were up to and I accepted the offer and I had no idea that the, um, <laughs> that the, the CEO that I was going to work with, I was like the, the third person, you know, in the company essentially in the hierarchy, but that the, the person I reported to was a total narcissist. So it was a like, he hired me because I did an unprecedented deal. He, he learned about the deal from the record company. And that's why I got hired. But then they wanted to like cut my wings because I wouldn't do what they asked me to do. Cause I always wanted to do what was the right thing to do. Like, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not the right thing to do. This is the right thing. And I was a board member. I was the exec on the executive board and they could not handle me telling the truth. And again, I was working 80 hours a week and that just, it like, it wrecked my Health. It totally wrecked my health. All the stress from that, and the fact that I was working for a narcissist and getting beat up regularly for just being me, I really couldn't take it. So I walked. I I literally, in the midst of my career, making you know really good money, walked away from it and had no idea what I was going to do next. And just started to pursue all the things I was passionate about, and just really test. And as I said, then I went through this dark night of the soul and hired a purpose coach, and that's when it became really clear to me what I was meant to be doing. And so I haven't really looked back since. I love what I do every day now.
0: When you, when you went through that, the dark night of the soul, as, as you stated, and then hired the coach or found the coach. Tell me about that process of finding the coach or the coach finding you. What What was that? situation like? What was that evolution like?
1: You know, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, right? Because this particular coach, I don't even remember how I came upon him. Maybe it was I was following somebody and then they recommended somebody else. And I watched this person's like five day challenge or something. And then I was totally hooked. And I worked with them. And that really helped me um, get clarity on what I was meant to be doing. So it it was totally serendipitous. There was so synchronicity about doing it. And that's what I found in every step of the way in my career is that it's just been synchronous in terms of being, getting that internal guidance to really move to the next step. And it still is now. I mean, just two years ago, three years ago, I was guided to do the work that I am now and give up what I was doing before. I was much more like a real business coach before, and I was guided to give that up and just focus on the work that I do now. And literally, I think it was on... Uh, like one night I was told I got the inner guidance. My intuition said, you know, just give it up and focus on this. And I was like, I don't know how to do that and make money. And I'm making really good money. And how do I give up what I'm doing now and do that? And it's like, the guidance I got was lean in and you'll be shown or lean out your choice. You get the choice, lean in or lean out. And I and I went, okay, I'm scared shitless, but I'm leaning in. And within 24 hours, the how showed up. And within 48 hours, my first client showed up in that, in doing my new my new offer. And that was my highest up until that point. And it hasn't been since. But up until that point, it was my highest grossing month so far. So it was like, that's just how I roll of like, just keep following the inner guy. And ultimately, that's what I teach people to do now is to really tune in on demand to their intuition so they can follow that inner guidance, because your inner guidance will never lead you wrong. Your ego will. Your ego will keep having you hit the wall, but your inner guidance will never lead you wrong. And when you learn to actually follow it, it leads you to the path of no resistance, not even least resistance, no resistance. And that's when you move in flow and get out of the grind. All
0: right. I'm going to put a pin in those, the flow and the the inner guidance here, because I want to talk about that. And maybe this, this question will lead into some of the things that you currently do. But when you worked with that first coach, were there anything uh, you know, one or two or however many you can think of, things that stand out that were like aha moments that you were or they or techniques that he offered? Is there anything that stands out that you were like, oh wow, I didn't think of it like that before.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think back to that time. He had a process, I mean so long ago, it's like 12 years ago already, or 10 years ago. Um, So he had a process for finding your purpose that was like just <clears throat> a meditative process of, of living into your vision that was super helpful. Um, Most people, including entrepreneurs, don't actually go for what they want. They go for what they think they can have, right? And so it's one of the things I hear a lot from clients when they work with me. Oh, I was dreaming much smaller than I'm meant to be dreaming, because they're really afraid to live into the bigness of who they are, and I feel like that was the first real step that I had in living into the, like, seeing what I can have. I mean, I live so much bigger than, than now than then even, but it was like the first real, like, oh, my God, I can make more than I'm making when I was making practicing law as a coach. Like that was the realization that I had. And I remember I was still married at the time, soon to be ex. And he's like, I can't believe you would do that. You know, the average coaches, this was back then make 20 to $40,000 a year. Why would you do that? And I was like, I'm not the average coach. I'm not the average coach. So I will not be making that, but no one around me, believed me, they just thought I was insane for taking that leap. Even then but that was what he helped me really understand, was how to step into that, like, own the beingness of holding that dream.
0: When you talk about taking that leap and say, well, first of all, you work, I know, mostly with entrepreneurs. Do you also work with people that are currently in their day job that are looking to become entrepreneurs as well?
1: Every or once, is is it, a every is it once in a while. Every once in a People that already made the jump. It's people who've already made the jump and are actually very successful. So, I I have worked with a couple of clients who were so successful at their jobs and have just started businesses and just needed some guidance in the right right direction. And they've taken massively off. Like, there's a, I can just sense the DNA of somebody who's going to do that because the that, i mean i used to when i first started coaching i used to help people get to six figures and what i was finding dustin is that so many of them were afraid to take action right they they were afraid to give up the safety and security of their jobs because they most people have employed we're we're ingrained with from school and from our parents with an employee mindset Right. The employee mindset focus on safety and security, believing that a paycheck creates safety and security. It does not. You can lose your job in a heartbeat. Right. You can lose your house. You can lose everything in a heartbeat. What creates safety and security is knowing that no matter what happens, you're going to be OK and you'll work your way out of it. Right? It's an internal safety and security is an internal job. It's not an external job. You can't get that for money. You can't get freedom for money either. You got to have the freedom first to get freedom. So <clears throat> what, what I was finding with people who were looking to get to six figures is like it was pulling teeth to drag them along. And that was no fun for me. So I really wanted to work with people who are already past that point of dragging them along to help them get the next quantum leap. And that's why I shifted to working with people who, who are at six plus figures.
0: Yeah. I want to, I want to talk more about flow and that inner sure. guidance. Tell me about the the process. Uh, you know, you don't have to give away the, the, the recipe for everything you do, but if you could talk about the importance of flow um, and you, I love the, how you qualified and you said not like low resistance, you did no resistance when you follow your inner guidance. Talk about that. Yes. Talk yes, about yes, the yes, importance, yes. how you, how you do it like, like, or why it's important and how you evolve. Like tell me the whole thing. I want to hear it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. At any given moment, we have two paths. One is to follow the ego guidance. One is to follow, I'm going to call it your higher self guidance, right? Your higher self is this like infinite version of you that's all knowing, can tap into any. From a quantum physics perspective, any thought that's ever been thought or ever shall be thought already exists in the now. Past, present, and future already exists in the now. This is quantum physics. Like, I didn't make this up. It's not woo. It's quantum physics, right? And so when you think about the ability that all the past, present, and future exists in the now, then there's a part of you that already lives in the past, present, and future, already knows what's possible. If you take choice A, it already knows the consequence of choice A. If you take choice B, it already knows the consequence of choice B. If you take choice C, and there's infinite choices is right? And its job, highest self's job is to guide us to the path of no resistance, to guide us to actually what's in our highest good way. That's what flow really is. I'm sure that every one of your listeners has been in the zone at some point, especially if they've ever done athletics. There's this moment when you just like everything just seems to be going in the right direction, synchronicities just happen like that. Resources seem to appear, time seems to stand still, and you're just hyper-focused, right? And just this effort, effortlessness. And it's not that you're not putting effort towards it, but there's an effortlessness around it. That to me is flow. And we have the ability to create those states on demand on demand, like anytime we want on demand. And it's just by not following the ego guidance. That's it. By following the highest good guidance. And ultimately there are two words with what's in your highest good. There's hundred percent responsibility. When you take hundred percent responsibility for your life and what I mean, and I don't mean obligation, obligation is ego. It's not, it's not, um, it's not truth. Taking 100% responsibility means I created my reality, everything in it, all the things that suck, all the things that I love, I created it, I put it there. And if I don't love it, I have the power to change it in a way that I do love. That's responsibility, right? Nobody did this to me. It's all happening for me. This is responsibility. I put it there. I'm not a victim to life. Right, and when I can take responsibility for having created the mess of my life or the chaos in my life, then it empowers me to actually shift it in a way that I want to and manifest what I want instead, because we're mostly manifesting by default we're mostly manifesting that's where self sabotage comes in from the subconscious patterns in our subconscious mind, right, from the blocks and limiting beliefs and self- sabotaging patterns. And so when we're able to remove those, get them out of the way, neutralize them so they're no longer impacting us in a tremendous way, then we get to follow that that intuitive guidance. I'll call it the higher self guidance, that intuitive guidance that is what your intuition is. I know that every one of your, I've asked this to hundreds of people, have you ever gotten a download in the shower on a walk or 3am genius moment? And everybody has said, yes, they've had that intuitive guidance. And when you follow it, it allows for magic to happen. And when you don't, it's created some challenge, right? And so what I'm essentially training my clients to do is to be able to tap into that guidance on on the regular, as well as learn how to follow it so they don't self-sabotage themselves. Because here's the thing. Let's take this, for example, as as your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind's number one instinct is not actually for survival. It's the familiar. And it's because the familiar keeps you alive. It knows that if you keep repeating the same patterns over and over again, dust is not dead. And as long as Dustin's not dead, it's done, it's a job. But everything you want is in the unknown. It's out over here. So what happens is you start to take steps out into the unknown and your subconscious mind searches its database and go, okay, where have I done that before and survived? But you haven't done it before. It's in the unknown. And so it freaks out and creates some form of self-sabotage to move you right back in over here. Right. And so you're going like this all the time. And maybe you step out over here and your comfort zone expands a little, but what you want out over here. And then you go to take another step, self sabotage, self sabotage, self sabotage. Right. So it's about learning how to break those patterns, habituate yourself to different patterns of success, habituate your thinking to success thinking, and then following the inner guidance. Does that make sense?
0: It, it makes sense. And I would love, I would love if you could give an example or two of, how that actually work? like how to do that. Are there techniques that somebody can do oh yeah for sure to do that? Sure, could you sure. could you give a couple of examples?
1: Yeah, I'll give you examples of results because I would have to walk you through the whole process for the techniques and sure, that would
0: whatever be, whatever whatever yeah. you because I, I know from from my perspective and, and I I'm tracking everything that you're saying right now. And I and I think it's important, I know in my experience, to take little steps, right? That I've taken little steps. I've taken big steps. I've taken leaps. I've fallen down. I've fallen forward. I've fallen backwards. I feel like I've fallen, fallen every single way you can. But that actually has helped me build a confidence to try other things and to do different things. And part of it's because, and there's been many cases where I just haven't been comfortable in wherever I was or whatever I was doing. So that actually forced me to do those things. So part of that is is trying new things whether it's a different sport or a different food or traveling somewhere um so i i get it i get it but but when you talk about being able to enter the flow state at any moment i'm just wondering if there's example like you know here's something yeah. that you can yeah. do whether it's the music sat like anything meditation whatever it is i, I don't so yeah no no
1: it that. isn't they're actually tools and techniques that i use to help my clients clear their ego out of the way so it, You cannot tune into the inner guidance when your ego is speaking loudly. You just can't. I can't tune into other people. Like I channel other people as well. That's how I help them clear their own beliefs at a a DNA level. Like energetically, we carry this stuff. Like our DNA is really, from an energy standpoint, encoded vibration. And so we carry intergenerational patterns and all kinds of other things actually in our DNA. And once it's removed, it lightens the load for sure. So I don't teach my clients DNA work, although I will in my new program. Um, but what I teach them to do is both move their, their ego out of their way so that they can actually go into their own subconscious minds and clear their own blocks, limiting beliefs, and self-sabotaging patterns. And then I teach them how to tune into their higher self and follow that guidance. I also teach them everything is made up of energy. Again, quantum physics, we are only point zero 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 one percent matter. That means 99.9999% energy right? It's much easier to make a transformation by changing energy than it is by trying to change matter. Matter is just the effect. We are the cause, right? And so when we shift the cause, we get a bigger change of the effect rather than changing the effect, trying to change the circumstance. So changing the the inner game is where you change the cause so that you can have a different effect. And so what people can learn to do is then, channel essentially their own higher selves and then follow that guidance. And so, as I said, everything is energy. You can also tune into the energy of your business. Your business wants you to do specific things. It wants you to hire specific people. It wants you to use specific strategies that are aligned with it. It's why a lot of strategies don't work for a lot of people. They're not aligned with them. Right. Sometimes it's just that they're not in the right frequency to be using them. But other times they're just not aligned strategies. So so by aligning with the strategies that are right for your business and hiring the right people, it it does create that forward momentum that moves you in flow. Right. Because now you're following all the guidance. So you're staying on the path of of no resistance. And that's what really does it. Resistance comes from some form of belief that we have about why it's not going to work or why life is not going to work in some way. It's either a thing we think there's wrong with us or life, right? That's what creates resistance. I'm afraid I'm going to fail. You spoke so well to that because, you know, most people only move out of their comfort zones when they're feeling enough pain to actually do it. Most people are moving away from the pain. They're not moving towards their goal right? The vast majority of people are moving away from the pain they're experiencing. And what I do is help remove the pain so you can actually move towards your goal by quantum leaping. Like incremental growth is great, but it's slow. And if you want to take the slow path, like speed is a choice. You don't have to take the quantum leap path. You don't, but I like to help my clients quantum leap because they tend to like speed also. And, and I tend to like speed. I tend to like to move fast. I think fast. I talk fast. I tend to like to move fast. And I I want to make those quantum leaps for myself and that's what I help my clients do is make those quantum leaps. So you asked for a story. I was working with a client, he's a marketer, and he had sold the business um, a, a decade before for $20 million, right? He had sold a very successful business for $20 million. He then started a marketing business. His first business wasn't marketing. And he had a client um, that was a high six-figure client for him. It was, he helped them get to billion dollars in their business through marketing. He didn't have a tight agreement with them. They sold the ownership and they dumped him. Right he ended up going bankrupt and getting divorced, and for four years in a row, he was in a survival mode, like just barely eking by and He was also incredibly defensive, would fight a lot with potential clients, there would be constant inner friction, constant drama created. And by the third month of us working together, first of all, he was in flow. He had a different sense of love for himself. He stopped fighting with potential clients. He started to get himself out of situations where drama would be creating. And in his third month, he created six figures, right? That's not an uncommon phenomenon. (laughs) So if it was then, but that's typically what happens when clients start working with me is somewhere around the 45 to 60 day mark. Clients will then see this like massive quantum leap in their results. Another client just recently, you know, first two months, you know, he could feel the shift in his state of being. His wife got on and celebrated and said she loved me because she could feel the difference in his focus and in his energy and how he was showing up in their marriage. In his third month of us working together, he booked income that exceeded his last two years of income combined.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. I have a couple questions yeah. about you know what you're seeing in, in most people. Number one is if there's somebody because you talk about energy and there's a lot there's a there's a spiritual not even undertone overtone like it, it's what it <laughs> is it's it's very holistic and and you have are there any challenges that you faced with people that didn't understand this or were a little hesitant or thought it was oh, sure. woo woo or whatever like well, yeah, what, is, what sure. is that like when you when you're Helping people get through that.
1: Um, You know, here's the thing. Results don't lie. (laughs) right? So you can tell exactly where you are by the results that you're getting. And I have had a few of those clients who didn't realize when I talk about mindset work that this is what I was talking about. But typically they're in a group environment and they're hearing the success stories of other people. And that will help them get on board where I'm just like lean in and trust. I know this is totally out there, but just lean in and trust because I also do very practical stuff. I help my clients dial in their messaging. It's super important. I help them get clear on the scalable model. I help them get clear on what their business wants from them and the strategies they're meant to use to going forward. You know, those are parts of what I help my clients do on a long-term basis. So it's both and, right? I mesh the woo with the do because I'm all about the tangible results. Like being spiritual is awesome in and of itself, but if it's not leading to tangible results, it's not, there's something off with it. The idea that you have to be spiritual, you can't make a lot of money. That's BS. We're meant to like live in a, we are abundant beings. We're meant to live in a land of abundance, right? And, but that's an inner state of being. It's not an outward experience. And so when people start to realize you have to change the inner game to change the outer game, they tend to embrace those tools because we're working on both and at the same time. We're working on the very some of the very tactical pieces, not in a, in a way that typical business coaches do. I don't go granular uh, with it, but I give them enough that we all have the guidance that we need inside of us. We all know exactly what we're meant to be doing. We're just tuning it out on a greater basis because we don't believe in ourselves in some way. We don't think we're good enough. We're afraid to fail. Sometimes we're even afraid to succeed. I have a lot of clients that are afraid to be alone if they get to the next level of success. Right? A lot of my clients fear that because they're already above, like way above where most of their peers and colleagues and friends are to begin with, that they're afraid that they're just going to like blast off and like be in outer space by themselves. So, on a success level. So, you know, I do have clients who come in sometimes with that, but in a very short period of time, they embrace it because they can see the difference that they feel in themselves. They can feel the difference in what happens in their lives. Where that inner friction. Most of what we do during the day, Dustin, is not hard. It's the inner friction that we, it's the thoughts we have about what we're doing that make it hard. Right? It's not the things themselves that are really that challenging. Sure, you may not know what to do. You may need to up level your skill. Upleveling skill in and of itself is not that hard. It's the thoughts you have about up-leveling skill that make it hard. Right.
0: Uh yeah, I would love to dissect that—the fear of success. I would love to dive into more. Like, what does what does that look like? And you gave a brief brief glimpse into that. Can you talk about that? Like, what that looks like and how that shows up in the people? In people, yeah,
1: it, it shows up in a couple of different patterns. One I just said, and the other one is that they're going to outshine everyone else, right? So, so it's like, do I really deserve to be at this level when everyone around me isn't? Like, I feel like I should take them along and I should only go so far as I can like take them along with me. And there's a level of wanting to take responsibility for people around them. And that just doesn't work. We're not responsible for anyone else. We truly, we're always, I go back to what I said in the beginning. We're 100 percent responsible for ourselves and no one can take responsibility. Even if you try taking responsibility, you just cut and paste their shit onto your timeline to deal with. But you don't take it off theirs. They still have to deal with it. right? So so we can't take responsibility. Universally, it doesn't work. It's not universal law. So, but they are afraid that they're going to leave people behind. And then the biggest thing that I see is being alone, that they become unrelatable to the people around them, that they no longer can relate to the people who are in their circle and have to create a different circle and are afraid that there aren't enough people at that level to create that circle with. So those are the typical two beliefs that I see with the fear of success. Also stepping into their own greatness. Like, I have a lot of people who have really, really big visions. you know they may be at five hundred thousand dollars now, but they literally have fifty million dollar visions and it's like, can I really do that? like what if I'm really wrong about myself and find out that I really go for it, really put myself out there and really can't do it right that's That's another one that I see that comes up a bunch
0: well, that's the deep end I tell you you're you're in the deep end stuff right there. <laughs>
1: That's the level. I only like to play at the deep end of the pool. You That's know, it's great. like yeah. it's fun to play in the for a little bit until I can move the people with me into the deep end because the deep end is where all the juiciness is. It's where yeah. all the magic happens. It really is where all the magic happens.
0: Well, I, I want to, and I, I agree with that. Well, a thousand percent. I want to talk about something that, and for those of you who are just listening and can't see Elena, when you when you say inside. You're you're pointing like two hands to your chest. You're talking inside, but I know we've also talked about you know the mindset and and the ego. In, in your experience and your thought, is this where does all this lie? I mean, I know you you mentioned quantum physics and all those things, but you're saying inside. You're pointing to the chest, and that, and one thing that I've I've thought about and talked to several people about is about aligning your head and your heart, and like you you gotta you gotta you know, use your head, but also you got to follow your, your gut and your instinct and your chest. like, how, how do you think about those things and, and where that is?
1: Yeah, our, our heart's a really good um, barometer of where we are. You know, like our, our emotions, our feelings are good barometers of exactly what we're feeling because negative feelings really only arise from, again, the thoughts we have about what happened, not because what happened is actually true. It's just the meaning we gave an experience. That's That's where our feelings come from. So- When I think about the mind, following the mind will never lead you where you want to go. Like when people get really analytical analysis, it goes into overthinking, analysis, paralysis. That's like the death knell of entrepreneurship and being able to move forward forward on the perfectionism. Again, it's one of those things. It's all in the mind, right? So where these things occur is the subconscious mind. Now I point to my head when I talk about the subconscious mind, but the truth is your subconscious mind's everywhere in your body. It's not just in your head. It's just this, it's the layer of where these limiting beliefs. So between the age of conception to age seven, we are in the dominant brainwave of Theta which is the brainwave of hypnosis, our neofrontal cortex hasn't been fully developed yet. So our ability to reason hasn't been, and our logical senses haven't been fully developed yet. So we don't have the ability to reject anything. So when we're told we should be ashamed of ourselves, we all of a sudden think, oh, I thought I knew who I was, but now I should feel shame for who I am. You don't know who who, who do you think you are? Right Now, oh, I thought I knew who I was, but I must be not who I thought I was. You're bad, or you'll only get this if you're good. Well, then I'm bad. So we start taking on these beliefs as true, and we start conforming ourselves from the people who we really are to the people who we think we need to be to get the love and acceptance from our parents based on what our parents are telling us which is based on their own limiting beliefs as well, right? It's just passed down from generation to generation around this. And so now we've created this whole identity construct, masks that we put on of this belief system of who we believe we are. And everything we do from then on is through that lens of perception that we have based on who we think we are. All the action, inaction we take is based on that. I literally had an entrepreneur tell me two weeks ago when I was talking about how this entrepreneur believes, how she believes that she's got to work really hard because I was told I had to work really hard to succeed. Every entrepreneur I work with has told, been told they have to work really hard to succeed. She said, taking the easy road is cheating. And I was like, so if you have the result that you want and it's 90 yards out versus nine miles out, you believe you have to run the nine miles instead of the 90 yards out. She's like, absolutely. That would be too easy. There's something wrong with it then, right? So that means when they're presented with an opportunity, if the opportunity seems too easy, they won't even see it. It's like they have blinders on to see it. They won't even see it. They'll always choose the hard road. Right? That's what these limiting beliefs do. They redirect us to only focus on the things that match those limiting beliefs. So as a result, people keep getting the same results over and over and over and over again and then banging their head against the wall, or maybe their incremental growth snail pace at best. And then they're wondering why it's like that. Or maybe they had massive success one year, but then they tanked their business the following year and they can't understand why they weren't able to sustain it. I mean, all of those things show up with my clients.
0: You know, I think one of the things that you mentioned about fear of success and or fear of greatness. And I also I take back to what you said earlier about mentors and finding little pieces from here or there and, you know, just taking different things from different aspects of your life. And I would just imagine and maybe I'm I'm just thinking from my own lens and perspective is sometimes like you don't know what greatness really looks like.
1: Exactly. Right. Like like you, you have this
0: idea of it and and if there's no, the pathway to that of like, I think it's like that. And so there's a lack of confidence in taking those steps or taking those leaps into whatever that is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you and I were talking at the beginning and you said the answer to that, which is trusting yourself. Yeah. Right. So that's one of the things that I help my clients do. And it's, it's part of the accountability process. Accountability for me is really about helping you develop trust with yourself. Because if you don't trust yourself, if you say, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, but you continually not do X, Y, Z, you no longer have trust with yourself, then you can't trust that it's going to be okay for you to take that step and step out into the unknown right? So, so by building trust with yourself and going, okay, I do what I say I'm going to do. I can count on myself to do that. Then when you say I'm going to do X, Y, Z, then you know it's okay to do X, Y, Z. So you got to build that trust with yourself. And that's where confidence comes from because trusting yourself is an inner game, but confidence in and of itself comes from self belief is the inner game. Confidence comes from actually doing something and learning that you can do it. Okay, but how do you learn you can do it? You got to do it first.
0: Yeah, and I like what you said. Turn the woo to the to the do. Uh, exactly. Woo to do. Yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. That, the, that was the first time you said that, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, I could have been. Oh, that's that's too good. That's too good. <laughs> so I, I'd also imagine that, especially if you have somebody who's uh, people that are entrepreneurs and they're having a certain level of success. I'd imagine it's important and correct me if I'm wrong or you know, streamline this, that people that are coming from at uh, some some level of success in their previous career is that is part of or I guess the question is, is part of the process taking those those aspects of that person that they've had success before and finding ways to incorporate them in their current practice and what they're doing?
1: That's a great question. Success is transferable for sure. But here's the thing. It's very different for people from a mindset perspective. When you were really excellent at your job, when somebody was paying you to do it, and the whole your, your paycheck wasn't based on exactly what you were doing, versus then stepping out into your purpose. And now you only eat what you kill right? Because when you go from the perspective of having to move out of that employee mindset into an entrepreneurial mindset, which is a growth mindset, right? Even though those skills are transferable, a lot of limiting beliefs come up that weren't there when you were getting a regular paycheck, right? When now all of a sudden your success is completely dependent upon you and and what you do. And especially when you have team members and you're responsible for paying them every month. Now, all of a sudden, the pressure is very different. And that's often what gets messes with people's minds more than anything else is the pressure to continue to do that, right? So like my overhead is very different now than it was 10 years ago when I couldn't make, you know, when I was having difficulty, say 10 years ago, it was very different with the amount of money I needed to come up with now than paying my whole team and all the expenses that my business has right? Completely different experience. And that's what, it's like a next, I call it quality problems, but it's a next level experience, right? So so it, it plays with the mind in a very different way.
0: Yeah. And I love what, whatever those challenges that you're faced with now, based on everything that you're saying and how you're approaching it, you are tackling them the same way, like with the same, uh, a, a, a solid foundation of how you're addressing those things and bringing your whole self. And, and uh, wow, this, this has been, Elena, this has been such a, a fun time. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing more about what you do and how you do it and how you got here. Um, before I we leave.
1: this conversation with you, Dustin. So thank you so much.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. This is, this is fantastic. Before we leave, is there anything that you want to leave our, our viewers and our listeners with?
1: Yeah, I would love to offer them a free gift. So I became, you know, because I worked 60 to 80 hour weeks, both in my own business, as well as, you know, uh, as a lawyer, I really became super passionate about helping people work less. So I typically help people shave 20 to 30 hours, if not even 40 hours off of their work week on the regular. And so I've created a free gift for your your listeners that I would love to offer. And it's about how three steps to shave 20 to 30 hours off of your work week um, while making more. And so I would love to offer that for free. And they can find that at www.elainashwartz.com forward slash time. That's where you'll find the free gift com forward slash time.
0: Fantastic. And I will include that and some other references for some of your, uh, your contact information in the show notes as well.
1: I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's been oh. so such a pleasure.
0: Elena, I I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, thank you so much. It's been wonderful.
1: Have a wonderful night.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.